one of the things, as you guys get kind of used to how build's going to be going, um, we're going to, every build time, we're going to have a short devotional. Um, we're going to have discussion groups like last time, and then either Scott or I will be teaching. And so this week, the order in which it's going to go is, I'm going to give the devotional, and then um, I'll go find Scott, and you guys can talk amongst yourselves. And then he'll come in and teach, and then we'll have discussion groups at the end. And so the devotionals will generally be around just the different build disciplines, and a lot of them will straight up be how I'm applying these disciplines in my life um, many times this last week. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Have any of you guys ever opened up God's Word and started reading and then realized that you have no idea what you just read? Um, most mornings for me, most of my mornings, I wake up and I grab my phone immediately and I look at the hundred plus emails that I got in the eight hours or three and a half hours I slept the night before and read them and then do a few other things and those emails are on my mind. So there's usually a response to four or five of them that I need to send probably before I leave for work. Um, and so I'll open up God's Word and not <coughs> stop thinking about those emails. And I honestly, the best way to break that habit is to stop looking at my phone, but it's a compulsive habit. I don't know how to do that. Um, and so I'll open up God's Word and realize I'm not engaging. Um, and we talk about here all the time, right? Shepherding our hearts with God's Word. That doesn't mean we open up God's Word and read it distantly. Um, it means we open up God's Word and we interact with God. And so one of the things that I do when I'm um, recognize that I'm not engaging with God and know I need to change is I'll go straight to the Psalms and I'll, I'll actually read interactively. Um, and so here, I'm going to see if I can show you what I do. The code. So I'm going to randomly pick a psalm, like, or it's just going to freeze. Um, and so a lot of times I'll go through a psalm, and I look for a few things to engage my heart. Um, I'll look for attributes of God, things that I know are true about God that this psalm has taught me. And generally what I'll do in terms of a reading plan is I'm reading through the Bible in some way, shape, or form, and also reading through Psalms. And normally, the Psalms reading is when I recognize I'm not engaging and I need to go look at it. And so if I met, read Psalm 100 last time, I'll read Psalm 101 this time. Um, I really don't know why it won't let me zoom out. But we'll go this way. Um, and so I'll look for attributes of God first. Because these are things I know are true about God. And, and I'll get either my notebook and write these things out. I'll either highlight it in my Bible. I have a Bible that has every single psalm, every single attribute of God that I've noticed in the entire Bible. And I, or in the entire book of Psalms. And they're just all underlined in red. And it, it helps me even just in normal times, anytime, go engage with God and grab my Bible and say, oh, there's red underlines. Let me just know what I know is true about God. Um, the other things I look for are things I need to put off. So if there's something in the psalm that I know 
I need to put off, I'll look for that. So um, down here, if you can see at the bottom, let's see if I can scroll now. We'll give up on that. Down here, if you can see at the bottom, I will set no worthless things before my eyes. Um, I, I would highlight that, and I would say that's something I need to put off. I need to put off putting worthless things before my eyes. Um, and then I look for something I need to put on, uh, whether it's walking with integrity in my heart. And I'll list those three categories through the entire psalm, and then I'll pray through it and just recognize God for who he is and say, God, I know these things about you. Um, look at my own life. A lot of times those things I need to put off cut pretty deep. And so I'll be confessing sin before God and talking to him about um, just how I need to change. And then the putting on things, I'll just look at them and say, these are, these, this is how I change. This, these are the things I need to be. And generally, I'll highlight one of each of those from that passage and think about that throughout the day. And it's been really helpful for me to re-engage because I'm interacting with something. I'm not just reading my Bible reading plan. I just read the chapter. Yeah, I wasn't engaged, but at least I checked the box. Um, I don't want that. I want this. And a lot of times I'm so engaged at that point that I flip back to the reading plan and I'm engaged already. And so it's helped kind of reset the whole day in terms of what I'm doing. And that's one of the things I've noticed just in general. If you have a pen out when you're reading the board, it helps so much. Like if you're either looking for something in God's word, no matter what, and writing that down, it's going to help you separate from whatever you were doing before, whatever you were thinking about before. Um, just reading with a pen out. It's the same idea of active listening. Like if I'm interacting with somebody and they're giving me no feedback, then I'm going to not even be engaged in my portion of the conversation. Um, and so being able to have feedback and interact with the Bible more than just reading it has really blessed my Bible study. And so I know the biggest assignment in build is just engaging with God's word on a regular basis. And this is one of the tools. So hopefully that's an encouragement to you guys. All right, we should pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. And I thank you for these men. I thank you for, most of all, your son, Jesus. And we thank you for your Bible that reveals him. Uh, we thank you for your Bible that reveals what we were like when we were without Christ. Thank you that your Bible real, uh, reveals to us what um, we are now in Christ, if indeed we have been saved by your grace through faith. And thank you uh, for the great hope that awaits us in seeing what we will be like when we are finally with Christ. And it's all about your son. It's not about us, ultimately. But we need to understand who we are so that we can make our lives all about him in the right way. Um, under the direction and power of your spirit in our lives. And so I pray this morning that you would help us understand your word. I, I pray that you would help us to take um, the synthesis of all of these really important and, and even at points complex truths from your Bible and, and help us to make them understandable, uh, make our hearts softened and teachable to receive. Give me clarity of mind. Help us to listen well. Help me to speak clearly. And most of all, do all of this so that your son is glorified in each one of our lives as we seek to live a life that is pleasing to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we want to talk to you. Uh, and I also put up here, not so that you can read these fuzzy words or anything, but just so that I can kind of point to something easier than um, and, and identify selections. Jeff, did you help out with some of this too? I did not. This you did not. Long. You're not going to take any credit for that. No. Nope. 
I'm not going to receive any of the blame for it then either. No. Okay. Mike, it's all on you. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Why, why, do we, why do we need to be watchful over our hearts? Uh, we, we talk about discipline one and build being uh, we want to shepherd our hearts. That's our inward self, who we are before God inwardly. We want to direct ourselves, discipline ourselves, counsel ourselves, shepherd our hearts to the word of God in order to meet with the God that is revealed in this way. Why do we do that? Why do we talk about disciplining ourselves to do that? Why do we talk about needing to be watchful over our hearts? Um, Why do we need to even concern ourselves with a purposeful, consistent, and careful oversight of our hearts with God's words? Why can't we just kind of let life happen and just kind of let ourselves go? Why can't we do that? Why do we need to become well-disciplined in shepherding our hearts to God and his word? Well, um, this transformation of man chart um, summarizes what God does when he saves a, a sinner through Christ in the gospel. And in the summary of that and the explanation of it, you will find uh, your, one of your best answers for why you must take care of yourself, why you must uh, shepherd your own heart. Um, so we're going to kind of walk through this today. Let me kind of just summarize a little bit um, on, the, on the chart. I'll see if I can do it this way. Let me um, help you. So if you'll take your chart and open it up before you so you can kind of follow <laughs> along. Okay. You have three states of man. You have the unregenerate man here, right? You've got regenerate man here in the middle. And then you've got the heavenly man, which won't write. There it is. Okay. Those three states. This is who you were without Christ. Okay? This is who you are in Christ. That's the New Testament language, right? You are in Christ. And this is who you will be with Christ uh, when you finally see him face to face, eye to eye, heart to heart. Okay? Um, That summarizes those three conditions. Okay? Now... Um, you'll notice that each one of them is represented a little bit differently. This one is all gray with a little bit of a lighter outer gray just to show the distinction between the outer man and the inward man. There's an inward man here. There's the outer man. There's an inward man here and an outer man. And here there is the inward man. And then here there is an inward and an outward man again with resurrection. Okay. Um, so each of them are represented a little bit differently. This one's obviously gray and darker, and that means it's not as good. This is radiant and glorious and pure. That's great, right? And this one is a mix, but it looks like a progressively diminishing mix. Lord willing, that's the way it should be in life, okay? Um, and we're going to talk about this in the, in the weeks to come, meetings to come. Now... What's important is to understand what this brown is, okay? And if you notice that the way that it's visualized, it's very important, okay, on your chart. This is like a lightning bolt that comes down and separates this condition from this condition, okay? Um, it, it separates the two. It's called regeneration. This is what makes the difference between this without Christ and this in Christ condition, If you want to find out the explanation for this regeneration event, you follow the brown all the way down to the bottom, okay? 
and then it is described all the way down here. Okay, the regeneration event covers from the unregenerate into all of the regenerate, and then you find some helpful descriptions down here at the bottom. We're going to go over that in a moment. I'm just trying to give you an orientation towards it. This is like a map. Okay, you want to know how to read the map. Okay. Um, so this is a, an event that comes and separates the unregenerate man from the regenerate man condition. Uh, to get from this condition to this condition, this event must take place in your life. Okay, we're going to walk through that some more. Then there is another event uh, that takes place in the life of the one that God saves. And it is the one that is kind of marked by, looks like more than one event, but it's kind of all packaged together. Death is what comes and separates this condition from the beginning of this condition. Okay, does that make sense? Sometimes, and I need to pull it down a little bit. Oh, I can if I do it that way. Uh, hmm. Take that off. Okay. These people, some of these people, will skip death, the New Testament says. And they will go right to a finished and final condition. That's called the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, John 17, um, some other passages. Um, they'll skip that. Most Christians, most believers, Old Testament, New Testament believers, had to go through this, will go through this, will die, be without an outer body, but will inwardly exist before God. And then they will have to go through the other part of this event, which is the resurrection uh, and then they will finally get a body. Like Jesus. As Jesus is right now, he actually has a body. That body can actually be located at the right hand of the Father, wherever that is. Um, and we will then finally be like him at that case. If you want to understand these events, you've got to follow them down underneath. If you notice, death reaches over into the regenerate man, because obviously it has to start there when you're, the believer dies. And it carries you into this condition... The rapture is described down here, death is described down here, and resurrection is described down here, okay? So that's the top picture, that's the events that kind of come in and invade, okay? And then what is this blue in the middle on each one? The blue in the middle is the description of each condition. So this is the without Christ man, or the unregenerate man, how do you generally describe this condition? He, he's unrighteous. I was unrighteous. Okay? Um, and then there's lots of descriptions here, lots of uh, biblical passages to look up. Um, this is the in Christ man. Um, he is being made righteous, even though he was declared righteous positionally once and for all in the regeneration event. Right? But then he is learning through his process of obedience to Christ. He's being made practically righteous, positionally righteous once and for all through faith, right? The process through growing into Christ's likeness, being made righteous in this condition, okay? These two things are not interchangeable. They are not the same, okay? This one down here, declared righteous, opens the doorway for you to be made more and more righteous in your living, through your practice, through your obedience, okay? Um, okay, so there's your description for the regenerate man. Lots of descriptions in there. We'll be covering that in the meetings to come. And then finally, the heavenly man, okay? Um, 
it works from left to right. You go from this to what? What's next? Not this. Oh, you wish it was that way. <laughs> but it's not. It's just not. Okay? You go to this, which is so much better than this. But yet, which is not as good as what you will be. Okay? Should we just close in prayer and go home? <laughs> because that's, that's just great news right there. But let's, um, let's turn now to Romans chapter 8. One of the things we're going to try to do um, over and over in different lessons throughout the year is sometimes in a lesson, we're going to be all over the Bible from the, the left of your Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We're just going to be walking through different passages and looking at a lot of them. Sometimes, even within the same lesson, we'll, we'll camp in one passage and we'll just look at what the one passage says. Um, we're going to do a little bit of both today. The one passage we're going to be in today is Romans 8, and then we'll be around in some other places, okay? Let me read 8, 1 to 8 for you. Paul says to the believer in Jesus Christ, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See it? In Christ Jesus, that's this person right here. This person has no condemnation at all. Not on Friday nights, not on Saturdays, not on bad days, um, not on the odd days of the month. There's just no condemnation all the time, right? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This was you over here, the law of sin and death, the spirit of, and the law of the spirit of life set you free from that into this, okay? Um, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse three, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That is all outlined down here in the regeneration event. Christ came and he died and that is what makes regeneration and the separation from this man into this new man uh, possible, okay? Uh, verse five, uh, four. So that, he did that, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And now we want to stay in verses five to eight for the most part. Verses five to eight describe these two different conditions. They do not describe two different days of the week for the believer. Did you hear that? These are not two descriptions of the believer. They are two separate descriptions. One describes the unregenerate man and the other describes the um, believing man or the regenerate man. Okay, so here's verses five to eight. For those who are according to the flesh, this guy over here, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the middle guy here, the regenerate one, is set their mind on the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right. Let's unpack this a little bit. Number one, without Christ, the unregenerate man, it is an unmixed sinful condition described as unrighteous. Look at verse um, five. Here's the unbeliever. The unbeliever is the one who is according to the flesh. Now, in this context, flesh is not the tissue which covers your bones and your muscles. Flesh is that which is sinfully weak before God 
and can only falter before God. That's what flesh in this context means and in many other contexts in the New Testament. By the way, in John 1, when it says the word became, what does that context mean? This stuff. It doesn't mean that Jesus became that which is sinfully weak and that always falters before God. Context determines what a word means, right? That's the number one principle, okay? In this context, it means that which is sinfully weak, that which can only ever, all the time, falter before God, and flesh loves that about itself, okay? It's not like flesh is really trying hard to be pleasing to God, but it just fell short. No, flesh always falters, always does that, and wants to do that. Likes being sinfully weak before God. Flesh can never please God. You saw that down in verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? And I, it says, at that time when I was an unbeliever, I was according to the flesh. What that means is that sinfully weak and entirely faltering condition before God... That was my one and only standard by which I lived. I was according to that. I was patterned to that. And again, we're describing this man over here. This is according to the flesh. This is the pattern of life for this one over here who is not saved. Okay? And notice the condition inwardly of the mind. What does it say in verse 5? For those who are according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. The mind is just who you are inwardly before God as a thinker. It's your thinking self before God. It's who you are as a ponderer. You ponder stuff. You ponder life. It's who you are as a meditator. You meditate on stuff. It's who you are as a reasoner and as an understander, if we can make up those words. Okay? It's who you are inwardly that way. So, as an unbeliever in this condition, I took my inward thinking self and I set it according to the pattern of the sinfully faltering, always weak before God flesh. Okay? That's what Paul is saying in verse 5. That's what the unregenerate man is like. Now, notice the mind in the flesh that sinfully weak part of man, they are in complete cahoots with each other. They're in complete agreement with each other. They are in partnership with each other. They are not in conflict with one another. They're not in disagreement with one another. The flesh says, hey, I'm the standard, sinfully weak, faltering all the time before God. That's all I want to do. And the mind says, I will pattern my thinking self off of that. That's what I want. There's no disagreement between the mind and the flesh as an unbeliever. That's what we're referring to as an unmixed condition. There's no mix going on in there. There's completely an unmixed condition. Okay? It's illustrated by the color. Okay? You'll notice that over here is also an unmixed condition of the complete opposite. And that's not you yet. You're this guy. A little bit of both. We'll talk about that some more, okay? Now, let me give you five quick descriptions in verses 6 to 8, okay, about this unregenerate man. Look at verse 6. 
For the mindset on the flesh, okay, that's the unbeliever, the mindset on the flesh is what? Death. Just death. Spiritually dead before God. Spiritual dead condition. Can you think of another verse in your New Testament that says that pretty clearly? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? That's Ephesians 2.1. Uh, do you know what Ephesians 4.18 says? At that time, you were excluded from the life of of God. That's another way of saying you are spiritually dead. Listen, God is the only life that matters. You get his life, you've got the only life that matters. And in this condition, you were excluded from that life. You're dead. You were dead as an unbeliever, okay? Here's the, so that's the first description. The mindset on the flesh is death. Look at verse 7, beginning of verse 7. Because the mind set on the flesh is what? Hostile toward God. The mind that is set on the flesh, which is dead, is never friendly toward God. It is always, that mind set on the flesh is always plotting against God. It is always plotting the demise of God, the destruction of God. Why did sinners kill Jesus Christ when he came? Because their mind is set on the flesh and they are dead and they are hostile toward God. He came and they killed him. And if he came again today, what would humanity do to him if they could? They would kill him again if it was his first coming now in our lifetime. That's what they would do. That's what we would have done. Okay. Colossians 1.21. Paul says to the believer, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind. Okay, what does that mean about this unbeliever's mind that is set according to the flesh? That mind is never plotting, how could I how could I build a bridge toward God? How could I meet him halfway? How can I get myself all of the way there? That mind is never plotting friendship with God. It is only plotting if I see him, I'm gonna kill him. Hostile. That's what I was without Christ. Now, I may not have been able to articulate it. I may not even have been able to um, formulate those words in my mind every morning when I woke up going, man, why do I want to kill God today? But that was the reality of my existence, the Bible tells me. The Bible knows me better than I knew myself. And all of my living that I did apart from Christ was hostility toward God. And the same for you if when you were an unbeliever, or even if you are today still yet an unbeliever. Verse 7, here's the third description. And as such, what does the mind set on the flesh do? Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God for what? Why is it hostile toward God? It does not subject itself to the law of God. In that condition, as an unbeliever, I was only a hostile rebel. God was God's law, whatever was pleasing to him, uh, that he dictated was right to do, I did not submit to it. Flesh and mind working together will never, ever submit to God's law. Never. It does not submit or subject itself to God, towards the law of God. Okay? Now let's intensify that third description with this fourth one in verse 7. 
that man is not even able to do so. You see that? For it does not subject itself to the law of God. Why? For it's not even able. It doesn't have the equipping. It, it's not in a condition with a built-in equipping to do what the law of God says. Okay? Okay, so what's the difference between number three saying it does not subject itself to the law of God and it's not even able to do so? What's the difference between those? It's one thing to say that it doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's a clarifying thing to say what? It's not even able to. It doesn't even have built into it what it needs to be able to do it. It's an intensification. It's a worsening of that condition, um, revealing it to be what it truly is. Last description, verse 8. Skip over the last part of verse 7 because that's a description about the regenerate person. Look at verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In that condition, there is no desire to please God. Now notice at verse 5, according to the flesh, those who are according to the flesh, is now in verse 8 called those in the flesh. Same thing. Book ends on those two on this little paragraph. Um, according to the flesh, person is the in flesh person. Okay. Now that says in this context that says nothing about the fact that you still have flesh here. There are other passages we need to go to that help us understand that you are still uh, dealing with the residual effects of the flesh. Okay. What is being described here is a condition that is set according to the pattern of that. Okay. Uh, that is in that condition, just like you are in Christ. Okay, now, you are in this condition in Christ. All right? Now, let me summarize um, a little bit or give you some thoughts on to, to connect on this. So if you take this person and you change their environment, it does nothing. Because the problem isn't the environment. <laughs> What is the problem? The man from the inside out. If you give this guy a new set of rules or laws, it's not going to do anything because he will not submit himself. He's not able to. If you give him a new set of friends, that doesn't have power. Now, there might be some good friends that we should link up with this person, but the friends are not the power of God. Church itself will not fix this condition. He probably should start going to church and listen to what's being said. But church will not fix the, the condition. All of those things are worthless in the sense that they do not address the inward problem. Okay, Because God does not invest in any one of those things that which actually changes this condition. Okay? That condition is dead, it is fleshly, it is weak, it is incapable, it is mentally hostile to God, it fails, and anything that comes into that life will only fail if it does not address those things in that person, okay? So now look at your chart, see this description here? Um, it's an unmixed condition. Everything that we just talked about in Romans 8, that's unrighteous. <laughs> to be spiritually dead before God, to be hostile towards him, to say, I, I, I don't submit to your law. Actually, I'm not even able to submit to your law, and I do not want to please you. Well, that's unrighteous. It's an unrighteous condition, okay? 
there's lots of different, um, this unmixed condition of the unregenerate man is characterized by these kinds of descriptions. We try to give you some passages that you can look. I encourage you to take time over the next two weeks and just kind of spend some time in this and look up those passages and read them, okay? Um, and then we'll kind of walk through some of these key descriptions here in a moment. Um, that's the unmixed condition. From the flesh uh, to the mind, there is only total agreement total partnership there's no conflict um, there is only oneness uh, there it's an unmixed condition in regards to death there's no trace of life in the way the mind thinks but there's death in the flesh there's just death in both uh, they are unmixed in their hostility toward God it's not that the flesh isn't quite as hostile toward God as the mind is no they both are in cahoots toward, in their hostility toward God there's no trace of honor for God in either. They are unmixed in the rebellion. It's not that the mind is trying, but the flesh isn't participating. Um, they're unmixed in, the, in that there is no disagreement between flesh and mind and equipping. The mind does not have the equipment. The flesh does not have the equipment. The equipment isn't capable. Okay? There's no conflict. There's no friction. There's no disagreement. There's no internal struggle here in rebellion against God. Okay? That's the unsaved condition. Now, I want to take you to a couple of other passages and add some uh, inward parts of man that will show you that there's an unmixed condition. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Very familiar verse to you, I know. Ephesians 2, verse 3. Look at this. Among them, too, the sons of disobedience, we, too, we believers, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So notice there, there's flesh, there's mind, and there's desires, and the flesh and the mind have the same desires. Complete unity, no disagreement between the flesh and the mind and the desires of the, un it's an unmixed condition in the unsaved man. Go over to chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you believers walk no live no longer like these guys do. Why on earth, if, if you've been separated and made this new creature, why on earth would you live this way? Don't live that way. Don't walk that way. How did they walk? In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, their inward self there, and they having become callous have given themselves, their whole selves, they've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Okay, so think about it. Um, your mind, your understanding, your heart, your whole self given over, and your practice all of it in agreement together, doing the same thing to practice out sensuality apart from God. Okay? All of that in agreement. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. For many walk, many once professing believers walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. These professors have turned away. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite or their belly, that's just their desires, 
and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Do you see that spoken of there? You've got desires, an appetite. You've got their glory, the thing that is them that they boast in, and their minds, all of them in agreement with one another. There's not one part going, wait a minute. Hey, guys, stop. Just time out for a second. We got to... Mind, the mind is not saying to the flesh. The appetites are not saying to the mind, hey, time out. we got to rethink this. They are all coursing down the same path together in unison. Okay? So those are some other passages uh, that reveal an unmixed condition. And then it's even worse for this man. If you look at your chart, the last description down here, that kind of person can only be in relation to God under the wrath of God under the judgment of God. Um, Romans 1.18. I'm going to turn to these. You can. I'm just going to look these up for you as we go. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So this unrighteous condition, when it finds the truth, what does it do with it? Wants to put a lid on it, keep it down. And what is God's response to that condition? Well, it already has happened. The wrath of God is being revealed against this kind of man, that kind of humanity. Chapter 2, verse 2 of Romans. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So all of the description and the practice that results from this man's life, the, the judgment of God rightly falls upon that man. That's the only right response God could have for that one. Um, Ephesians 2, 3, we are children of wrath in this condition, right? Um, Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man, a man to die once, and after this, what? Judgment. So when this man dies, and by the way, he doesn't die multiple times, he won't write a book about what it was like to go to heaven and then come back. He'll die once. And then after that, if he is never this man, what happens? immediately goes to judgment okay that is God's response to that and the New Testament in reference to the believer when, when, the, when Paul writes or any of the New Testament writers are writing to believers in the church and they want to refer to what they were in the past what does Paul call this oftentimes the old self the old man okay that's what we were the old one okay that's the old self, the old man. That's the condition I was in before Christ. Romans 6, 6, the old self, we'll talk about this, was crucified with Christ. Um, Colossians 3, 9 is the old self. Ephesians 4, 22, you're in, are you, are you still in? The, what I, no, I moved you back to Romans. Um, Ephesians 4.22, Paul writing to believers says, your former manner of life, the old self is what he calls it in the New American Standard. This is your former manner of life. Okay? That is what I was before Christ. Now, that description of what we just talked about, how does that man, from his mind and his will and his desires and his appetites, um, how does this man discipline himself to genuinely, sincerely shepherd his inward self to the word of God to know God. He doesn't. 
He doesn't want to. He can't. He has set his mind according to a different pattern. He doesn't want to set his mind according to this pattern in that condition. He has no need for self-discipline to meet with God, with his word. Okay? He has no appetite for that. He has no power for that self-discipline. Something amazingly powerful and transformative must happen to that man. Lightning must strike. Lightning must strike, so to speak. But how? Does does he look within? Should he look within his heart, which is hardened toward God? Should he look within his reasoning and his understanding, which can only generate futile thinking and darkened reasoning, Ephesians 4? Should he look for his appetites or his desires to urge him toward God, which are only after other idols? Should he, should he go and pay the penalty himself? Does he have the currency that God accepts to pay the penalty? Does he have the blood? No, he doesn't. He'll have to pay for it forever in hell. He has no currency that God will accept. How can he, who only wants to be hostile to God, make God not hostile toward him, angry towards him? He can only continue to displease God. The solution for this unmixed man is not found within him. Do you understand? It's not found within him. The solution is not found within this man. God must come and invade this man with something powerful and change him. And that is regeneration. Okay? And again, regeneration is all described down here. Uh, components of it, the, the, the role of the gospel in it. So let's go to that. But first, I want to just pause for a moment. Look at my clock. We're okay. Um, anybody, you have a question? Do you want a clarification on something? Anything in regards to the chart? So there's, there's, there's going to be two types of men, right? I mean, people who outrightly say I hate God and then others who believe that they also are like I mean we, we live in a community where there's a lot of people who say I am the regenerate man but they're not what happens when you put a religious robe on this person nothing they talk different they might sound like this there, there are within the, the gathering of these people people who are still this there, are, there is an art church and they, um, hi, Jenna. How does this work again, Matt? Why doesn't it recognize my face? Can you put my picture in there? <laughs> 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 you know, it's a cold and old picture of Matt. Ooh, I can't do this. The what show? Oh, no, I lost it again. I have a, I have a short-term memory. Well, yeah. Oh. If any of you need to make a big purchase later, let me know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there, there are these kind of men. You can, you can put them in a group of Christians. You can put them in a religion. Look, this, this man oftentimes will go, you know what? Uh, I've, I've, I've heard about God enough that I know that we need, I, I can do something 
we can do something, and so they formulate a whole religion that says we can do something. Okay, this is what distinguishes Christianity, biblical Christianity, from all other religions. But that's not to say that this man, in his hatred towards God, won't be religious. Oh, he will be, and everything about his religion is fleshly. His mind is still set on the flesh. That religion is hostile toward God. His reasoning is darkened. His heart is still hardened in his religion. Everything about him in all of his religious robes and all of his religious liturgy and everything he does is still bankrupt and not pleasing to God. Right? Yeah. So in, in relation to the, the mixed condition, mm-hmm. uh, Scripture also says that you know, we have the knowledge of God yeah. in, 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 uh, and that you know, we, we also have a conscience. So we're not without guilt. So I think just uh, trying to wrap my head around the uh, the system of understanding of an un- unmixed condition, and yet at the same time we aren't without guilt. We do know uh, God. We do know uh, what is displeasing. Yeah. Look, are there are there um, some things from this that carry over in? Yes. But the fact that they carry over into this does not mean that you are still this. Right? Okay? One of the easiest things you can do, I shouldn't say easiest, maybe um, simplest things to do when you kind of get snagged in your mind, I go, "Ah, wait a minute, what's that? Just do this. I'm not this anymore. Right. But I'm not this yet either. Right. Okay? And a lot of times I think we think when God saved me, I should be pretty much this. And I'm not. And neither are you. And this is what we've got to come to grips with. And so you have to read your texts in the New Testament carefully to make sure you know which text you're in. A lot of people use Romans 8, what I just went through, to talk about, well, I've really set my mind according to the flesh today. Okay, uh, maybe what you mean, if you're a believer, a believer says, I set my mind according to the flesh today. Well, actually, according to what Paul meant, no, you didn't. Now, if what you mean is um, what Galatians 5 says, turn to Galatians 5. You guys are making me go ahead, but it's really good to cover this. Galatians 5. Now, here's what a believer it has. How does the flesh and the spirit and the believer work together in this condition? Right here. I say, walk by the spirit. Okay, now you don't say that to this guy over here. He can't. You say that to the believer, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So your flesh still has desires here in this condition. And you must make a choice today whether or not you will walk by those desires of the flesh or not. The flesh will always, even in this condition here, you still have flesh, sinful flesh, fallen weakness. Okay, it will always set its desire against the spirit of God in you. Okay, do you notice that there is a a conflict in this person? flesh and spirit. There is no spirit in this one, only flesh. So you have to make sure you're in the right passage and you understand what the passage says and you don't get them mixed up. Does that make sense? All right, let me, let's, let's move on and then we'll be talking about those kinds of things in the future a little bit more, okay? Now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the regeneration event and we're going to move down here to the bottom part of the chart, okay? And I'm not going to point to much down here because it's lower and I'm standing in the way. You can look at your open chart. Emphasis on event. Do you see it down here? Regeneration. I just said I'm not going to point down there. I point down there. Regeneration event. Okay? Here, I'll do it this way too. For those of you with your chart open. Regeneration event. 
You get down here and it says uh, regeneration event component, regeneration event benefits, all event, okay? Difference between event, uh, the contrast to an event is a process. None of this is a process, okay? This is more like a lightning strike than it is a beautiful moving sunset or sunrise coming increasingly more and more so, okay? It is an event. Now, your discovery of everything that God did in a lightning strike in your life may be quite a process for you, but the fact that you realize it or discover it as a process doesn't mean that what he did was a process. I'm a little worked up about that because it's really important. <laughs> Do you understand that? Because, look, um, ask a baby as soon as they're able to talk. Do you understand how you abort? <laughs> It's going to take a life to learn that, quite a bit of life to learn that. The fact that it takes time for them to learn that doesn't mean that their birth day was taking place over years. Okay, you, no, right. Your wife praises God. <laughs> Our wives praise God on it, don't they? It's a birth day, not a birth week. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, and that's on tape, too. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, we can do that. That's right. Um, all right, so what we're going to do, uh, what's God's solution to this? What do I do with my card? Um, this is God's solution to this man right here. If God is going to invade that condition, what must he do to change it? He must do all of this down here. This is what the New Testament says, and even the Old Testament for... Old Testament salvation says must happen. Um, of course, it's not linked with Christ yet, um, but it anticipates his work. This is accomplished by God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does not do any of this event apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. Repent and believe. Okay? It is accomplished through the gospel. There's a theological summary for the gospel there down at the bottom. Um, one way to describe this whole event of Regeneration is adoption through regeneration, or I'm sorry, through propitiation, um, penal substitutionary atonement. We talked about that at our last meeting a little bit. Um, we get God. What is the main problem here? He is without Christ. What's his biggest problem? He doesn't have the one and only Son of God. What is his therefore greatest solution? What is his greatest need? He must have Christ, and we have him. We have the guarantee of him. He is in us. We are in him, but we do not yet have him as we want. They will, right? Okay? Um, and all of this is appropriated in conjunction with repentance and faith. That's the outward sign that you get to see that something really powerful has happened within. Okay? Repentance and faith. All right? So now what I want to do is I want to walk through some of the um, components down at the bottom. So if you, I think you've got those printed out in a list. Let's talk about the events components. Again, every single one of these in the list is instantaneously accomplished by God. Boom, he does it. It's instantaneously accomplished. It is not partially done and a little bit more of it being done every day, every week, every year. No, these things are once and for all achieved events component things okay they happen instantly completely these are god's solution to your spiritual deadness 
your hostility toward him, your rebellion against him, your inability to conform yourself to him and his law, your displeasing life towards him, your faltering mind, your futile reasoning, your darkened understanding, your given over to sensuality self, and your idol-loving appetites. This is his solution. Okay? By the way, when you preach the gospel, when you get the chance to, you gotta, you got to let the words of, of your Bible really say how, how awful it is. Why? Because you want to make them really feel bad. No, you want to show, you want to lay the black velvet cloth out because you're going to put the most brilliant diamond on it. Let it be black. Not because you want to make it worse than the Bible says. You can't make it worse than the Bible says. Let the Bible just make it as worse, as bad as it is. Okay? Here's God's solution to that. He has a solution to it. New birth. John 3, 3 to 8. We don't have time to go through all these. I want you to, to read through these. That's Jesus with Nicodemus saying, you must be born again. Right? And this bo- being born again is done by the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? This is a new creature. The old things, what? Passed away. This, this old identity passed away. Dead. Behold, new things have come like, where did this new desire for God's word come from? Where did this desire for Christ come from? New things have come. Okay? Um, Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us what? When we were dead, God made us alive together with Christ. Um, Titus 3, 7. Uh, through the washing of regeneration... This regeneration event is called like a a bath, a washing that takes place. Positional sanctification. If this is unholy and unrighteous, all in one moment, God just goes holy. Positional holiness. Once and for all holiness. That doesn't mean you still do some unholy things, but you are in this really conundrum of why? I know what he made me. He declared over me a righteous status once and for all, on the basis of faith alone. But I still do some really stupid, unrighteous things. That does not negate the fact that he positionally made you what you are. You are in the process of learning how to live according to that. It's progressive. But this is a positional sanctification achieved once and for all. The movement of you from this identity to this identity is a positional once and for all achieved thing. It is not the same thing as your practice of obedience. They're related. You cannot get them backwards. Or you do not have the gospel anymore. Okay? Justification. Same thing. I just talked about that. Being declared righteous. You are unrighteous here. You, in this condition, are called to believe Christ. And you say, I do. And he declares over you righteousness. And all of a sudden, you're this. Okay? Imputation. All that is your sin must be put on Christ at the cross and all that is his righteousness must be put on you. Imputation. Adoption. Why? None of you would adopt like God adopts. Why does he do it? He does. Romans 8, 14 to 17. Galatians 4, 4 to 7. He unites us with Christ. The only way that this takes place is by him actually taking you, and we'll talk about this more, but he takes you in this condition, according to Romans 6, and he puts you with Christ crucified, 
And he takes that condition and he buries it with Christ. And he takes that condition and then he raises you up and you find yourself to be this condition. And then Ephesians 2, you are ascended on high with him, even though you still live here. But somehow positionally, you are united with Christ. Everything changes in your union. with That's his solution to all that was wrong with you. I must put you with my son somehow. And he does. Expiation, your sin removed, taken away. Romans 3.25, Hebrews 2.17. Oh, that's propitiation. I'm on the wrong one. Uh, Colossians 2, Hebrews 9. Propitiation, God's wrath. His anger against you here, righteously so, righteous anger against you. He must have his mind changed. He must have his anger satisfied. How does he do that? Not by crushing you, but by crushing his son at the cross as a substitute in your place. Once and for all, not a process. You didn't contribute that. You didn't contribute to your new birth. You didn't contribute to your positional sanctification. You didn't help out in the justification process. You didn't help out the imputation part of things. You didn't help out adoption. You didn't help out union with Christ. You didn't help out uh, by taking your sin away. You didn't participate in satisfying his wrath. You don't participate in being redeemed. There's only one currency God will accept, and it's the currency of his son's blood shed at the cross. Reconciliation. God reconciles us to him. He reconciles himself towards us. Romans 5, 2 Corinthians 5. We have forgiveness of sin. Positional, once and for all, forgiveness. You are forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, once and for all, forgiven. The Bible says this old man was crucified with Christ. How many crucified men in Jesus' day went to the cross in the morning and went home at night? Because they had to go back because crucifixion was a process. <clears throat> no, once they were on the cross, the event took the time that it took and it was over. Okay? That's the regeneration event components. Let's talk about the benefits that flow out of that. Okay? And every single one of these benefits that are listed over here on this side of your card, um, right about in the middle of your page down at the bottom, every single one of these is also instantaneously achieved by God the, the component opens the door. The component event opens the door, a once and for all event, and what comes from that as a benefit is a once and for all benefit. I'm not going to worry about that again. I think we'll pretty much start that. Okay, Scott, thank you so much. Um, okay, so these are the benefits. Look at them. Okay, now just listen to this. Loved by God. Once and for all achieved. Forever loved by him. You are loved by him in this condition. He will never withdraw that love. You did not participate to make him love you. It's just the once and for all instantaneously achieved, completely achieved love. In this position, in this condition here, indwelt by the spirit of God, the spirit comes and indwells in you. Okay, you didn't participate in that. You didn't go through a courting process with the spirit and eventually get engaged and then get married. No, he just came with that regeneration event. You were indwelt also by Christ. I mean, think about that. Two members of the Godhead are in you. That's God's solution to how, that tells you how bad it was that God in the Son and God in His Spirit would have to come inside you to fix it. That's, that's stunning what God has to do to save you and me. He instantly also then makes you members of a body. 
He makes us members of one another. At the same time, he not only just saved you and, and made you connected with him, he connected you with all of the others. And then we represent that locally, don't we, in one location for us, Grace Bible Church. There's a lot of other ones who represent that physically in other locations. Confident access to God achieved instantaneously. Instantaneously, forever. Constant, confident access to God. You are now, according to Romans 5 and 6, you are under the reigning power of grace. God just takes you out from under the reigning power of the law and of the flesh and of sin. And he just once and for all instantaneously puts you under his grace. And now grace has this powerful reign over your life and helps you um, be who you are and then begin to accomplish the progressive nature of growing more and more into the image of Christ. You are saved from God's wrath once and for all. You are free from condemnation, Romans 8, once and for all. You are unable to be separated from Christ. All of the promises he made towards you cannot be undone. Guys, you in this condition, if you are saved, you will never go back to this. If you are genuinely saved, you will never go back. That does not say that you will not that you will stop sinning. You can't confuse and think, well, if I'm this guy, why do I keep sinning? Well, you're not this guy. You're just not, okay? And I know your wife has helped you to see that, clearly, okay? Um, and we're here to help your wife this year. Um, so uh, that doesn't mean that you won't continue to sin, but it doesn't mean you're the same identity that you were dead in your trespasses. You're not dead in your trespasses and sins if he saved you. You are not only setting your mind according to the pattern of the flesh. You have your mind set on the things above, on the word of God. That doesn't mean you can't be influenced by the flesh. Of course you can be, but it's not the same thing as being this guy again. You can never go back because you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. God will not give you his spirit and then say, you know what, I I take it back. He won't do that. Okay? Peace with God. He won't say, I know that we reconciled, but actually I'm going to make war with you again. He won't do that to you. 